Earlier this week, uh, I was uh, at a meeting of the Sussex Gospel Partnership, and uh, it was in a lovely new uh, Baptist church in Cookfield. And at coffee time, we were allowed to uh, go and mingle and have a look round about the building, and uh, we were standing, holding our coffee, and I wandered into the hall where our lunch was starting to be laid out. And uh, on the table there in front of me was a huge amount of fruit with big, long, straight bananas. Really bright yellow. They they look glorious. And uh, it made me really thankful that we live now, that there's so much provision, that we can be blessed in so many ways, but yet reminded me of those that don't have. It reminded me too of a a story an, an aunt of mine told me about the first time she'd had a bite of a banana, because I, I was sort of in the second session after the coffee going, I hope some of that fruit's still there by the time I get there, you know, that I'm not at the back of the queue. Um, but uh, she told me about the first bite of a banana because she'd been a child growing up during the war and bananas during that time had not made it to the south of Scotland. I don't know if they'd made it here even. I know there was shortage of some types of fruit. And then she had tails of them. Large, yellow coloured, thick skinned, slightly carved yet straight. And finally one day she was given a banana. It was after the war. And she was presented with it. Look, this is a banana. How special, how delightful, she was told. And she should think herself lucky to get one. Not like me going, oh, I hope there's one left. No, she should think herself lucky to get one. And as she looked at it, it was small and carved and very brown, if not black. And as she peeled it, the skin fell apart. And inside was something that was rather mushy and slightly smelly. Yet she took a bite, and it was a bit disgusting. And she spat it out. It was nothing like how she imagined it would be. It was nothing like the description she had heard of what a banana should be. How she'd spent years maybe being tempted. One day you might get a banana. The banana came and she spat it out and suffered a punishment for the ungratefulness that she had shown How we are told things should be, how we understand they should be, 
does not always match the reality of life. We are sometimes given a vision of bounteous fruit. And the reality falls somewhat short. We imagine how it must be for the young exiles in Babylon who'd heard from their parents of what Jerusalem looked like. What a mighty city. What a glorious temple. What strong walls. What a mighty fortress. The holy city. The place where God dwells among the people. And then imagine their arrival after the exile back in Jerusalem. One imagines it maybe gave them a bit of a foul taste in the mouth. For the city walls were gone. The temple lay in waste to. Houses demolished. It was perhaps much like we see those cities in Syria today that have been through war. Because that's what had happened. Ravaged by war, years of neglect, a place of glory had become a place of false worship and pagan rites. But they choose to rebuild. They can bring the flavor back. It can be a mighty place for God again. And the passage that we get is sort of things coming to a culmination. The walls have been rebuilt. And it's time for the next great festival. And joining in with this festival that is coming, the Festival of Trumpets, which, if I still had it here, I would go doo-doo from my time last summer. Those of you that were here last summer might remember blowing as we thought of the Festival of Trumpets. Well, it comes to the first day of the seventh month. That's the Festival of Trumpets. Great celebrations. And uh, they can celebrate the fact that the city is intact again. It is a mighty place. And the crowd demands that they might hear the scriptures. They want to discover the word of God. Who this city is built to. They want to know his word. They want to learn and grow. They knew of the word. They knew of the law. The book of the law of Moses. Probably a series of scrolls actually. But they'd maybe not heard from it much. 
And so the scroll is brought out to be read. And the crowd look forward to it. They delight in it. I wonder if you have that delight. Do you demand that the Bible be read to you? Even if it's got tricky words in it. Do you seek that? Maybe that's why you come here and you're saying, teach me. Is that why you come on a Sunday morning? Teach me. The words brought forth. But as it is opened, as it is explored, that foul taste returns. It's not that the word of God is past its best. But rather these are people of God that are far from what they're intended to be. They discover that they are the rotten bananas. Far from good. Far from being a delight for others. Being citizens of his kingdom requires more than the sacrifice at the altar. More than the building of a wall. More than performing a religious duty once a week. In fact, being faithful is not about duty, but having a desire to please God. It's about living differently. And the people of Jerusalem were not living differently, really, from those that were in the land round about those that had been living in the city before they returned from Babylon. They weren't that different from those in Judah and Galilee. Do you live differently? Are you different from your neighbors? There's something special in your life that should make you different. The joy of the Lord. A strength that should be with you. Whatever suffering we're going through, that joy is there. You have received forgiveness and new life. But does it come out in the way you talk? Does it come out in the way that you love others? The way that you use what you have for the benefit of others rather than yourself? That is the struggle that these people faced. And it was a broad spectrum of people. All had gathered as one. As if of one mind, of one purpose, of one strength. Young and old, everyone who could understand, male and female, there's not the segregation here at the water gate that there would have been perhaps at the temple. They together have heard the word. And not just heard the word read out to them, but had it explained to them in detail. 
There's a group of leaders there to help make it clear, to help it be understood. I have a confession to make to Foe and also to Jeremy when he comes to this later on. When this appears in the lectionary for churches, those two verses with the names in are not there. The names of the people who stand with Ezra, they're jumped over. The names of the Levites that are going around helping others are jumped over. But it's important that we see that it is not Ezra alone who's explaining the scripture. It's a wider group of leaders. It's important that we discover that it is as a whole society that they're not just learning, but helping others to learn. This is one of the great things as a church. We can use different gifts with different people to come together and to learn. It's one of the great things that we can have home groups. And the Bible can be opened in a small group of people who are getting to know each other. And they can say, you know, I really struggle not just with the pronunciation, but what that thing's doing there. And they can discuss and they can learn and uncover new ideas by meeting with other believers and sharing in the great book of books that we have in the Bible. During Lent, as Adrian was saying, we've got an opportunity for catching the wave. have a weekly meeting. Now, I know weekly meetings is maybe putting an extra demand. It's putting an extra demand on the, the leaders, and I hope they're able to find folk that will work alongside them so that they don't have to lead every week, but there'll be others within the group that will take turns. But it, it gives an extra opportunity for us in our homes to maybe open it and read to be able to discover something new each day, not just waiting for that time. Now, some of you will already have your notes at home, and that's understandable, but we're trying to do something here together. The people of Jerusalem in the passage found that there was so much more that they hadn't understood so much more to being faithful than simply having a place to worship. We don't know exactly what it was that Ezra was reading. It says from the book of the law of Moses, but the Torah is much more than the commandments and the laws. In those, well, in the first book, you know, we've got the whole story of creation and the story of Noah, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
all happening before we get to Joseph saving the Egyptians and his family from starvation. So many stories in that. And without Exodus, we would miss not just the Ten Commandments, but God revealing himself on the mountaintop, speaking from the burning bush, saying, I am, is his name. We wouldn't have the sense of God leading his people through a wilderness, or how he provides for them in a place of nothingness. We'd fail to see the keeping of promises by God and learn that we can trust in his promises because he does always keep them. Is it any wonder on hearing any of this that the people are in tears? As they hear it and discover it afresh, they are moved to tears. They had not known their story, the story of life, the story of their forefathers. They didn't know why God had called them to be different from others. An example to all. They'd missed so much before now. And as they realize it, and as they realize that they are not living the way that God had set out from the very beginning of time, they are moved to tears. And now, the reality of their life is they need to be a holy people living in a holy city. Where the wall and everything inside it is intended to glorify God. What would that mean for us? If we were to see all of our surroundings as a place that is precious to God, loved by God, a place that he dwells within, how would that change us? How would it move us? Maybe it would give us a poor taste in our mouth that we're not meeting expectations. But we have a loving God. And we are called by him to live in a way that he knows that we can. And he enables us to do that by his Holy Spirit. He brings goodness to us. He gives us forgiveness when we've done wrong and have to turn again to him and he sets us off to try again he gives us another shot and most of all he has joy in what we can do 
for he knows that we are weak. But when we do what we are able, there is great joy. And his joy can be our strength. Maybe this Lent, you will bring daily praise to God and think on his great goodness. You may delight in his wonderful creation. You might engage with catching the wave. Also available as a PDF download. We'll give you the website if you want. But if you do that, if you choose to do that for Lent or some other activity for Lent, don't do it through duty or compulsion, but do it through the delight and the joy of spending time rediscovering the Bible, praying for change in our lives may bring you joy praying that there might be joy in others too, those that do not yet know the fullness of God's love, the fullness that these people in Jerusalem in our passage didn't encounter, but the fullness that we can, the joy of knowing Jesus. Amen.